Yeah. Okay, so I have a little bit of a, a journey to say of how we got here to today. Um, so a few weeks ago, Gary said, will not you preach? And I said, no, I don't really want to preach. This is my weekend. Kids are going away, you're going away, Dale's going away. <laughs> Sorry, Dale. <laughs> but the whole idea is that I get to have in my own home a glorious weekend, two nights of silence and solitude. It's very important to me. I long for this every year. And that was cruelly, in my idea, snatched away from me. So first of all, Gary says, won't you preach? I'm like, no, I don't want to preach. I don't want to spend that time preparing. And I said, oh, okay, at least then I can prepare on my own. Nobody interrupting me. And then about two, or I don't know how long ago, it was shortly after that, Gary comes and says to me, do you know? So Jordan and Jenna have two major galas in a season, and one of them is always in December. It's normally the week before Christmas, and then one in March. That's the end of season. So this one was supposed to be next weekend. And he says to me, it's, guess what? It's been moved up to this weekend. I said, what? Are you kidding me? He's like, yep. I was like, no. <laughs> He's like, yeah. So shame, Jordan and Jenna were disappointed, but it's not about them. It's all about me. So I was like, so I actually became quite mad with God. <clears throat> okay, I was very mad with God. I was tired and I wanted to rest and I didn't feel like doing anything. Now I have to get up at half past six in the morning and take them to Ellis Park, which I hate, and then sit there all day. And then now on top of that prep, so I was really mad and very bummed about the whole thing. <clears throat> and another thing I was kind of struggling was like, it would be really nice if I knew what I was preaching on. So as of Friday, I had no cooking clue. I kept saying to Gary, so he's like, what are you going to preach on? I'm like, I don't know. So it's been happening more and more. So the last time it happened, it was kind of on the Sunday where I was like, oh, I know what I'm preaching on before, you know, like a week. So now this is the, this Friday. And I said to God, you, I was like, I still have no idea. You know that season where you can't hear him, can't feel him, kind of, is there a God kind of feeling? That's what I was feeling. So it's kind of been puzzling me because I don't understand why I was feeling like that. And I've also been feeling a little bit like heavy. So I was like, well, maybe it's tired. Somebody said to me earlier, yeah, I was like, how are you feeling? She's like, I'm feeling tired. I'm just going to put it down to end of year tiredness. And that's kind of what I was doing. I was like, I am tired inside. I'm tired physically. I'm tired of running around. I'm tired. So I kept saying to God, even yesterday at Ellis Park, where you've got these glorious clouds going over the, the swimming pool. And I was like, God, where are you? <laughs> So I was feeling blah, and I didn't know why, and I was feeling far from God, and I didn't know why. And now I have to preach. So I was kind of sulking with God. Actually, I, I was sulking. I actually wanted to just mentally check out. You know that feeling like the kids finish school on Thursday? Oh, but wait, Ella had a birthday party on Thursday. Okay. So I started ticking things off on my list to kind of just cope with, okay, I've got to do this. Okay, that's done. I've got to do this. Okay, that's done. So this kind of enduring the season feeling. So feeling very dramatic, very sorry for myself. <clears throat> and um, 
Now I'm like, I don't know. So Friday morning, I wake up, and now the, the very sad, and I have to be very honest, is like I was, clicked, I was clutching out. So I was just on Facebook, just clutching out from everything, either playing games or on Facebook, because I didn't really feel like kind of trying to pursue God either. We're being very honest here today. And then in Facebook, you know, God's, Jesus is really faithful when you're in these kind of places. The first thing I see was Bethel had posted on Friday morning a, a clip from Melissa Halser when they'd done, I don't know which conference it was, sometime this year. And how, she, I'd heard the story, but I hadn't actually heard her testimony. The one morning, she was supposed to lead the session that night or that day or whatever. She woke up with no voice. She has a chronic illness that she's had suffered from since the age of 17. So over 20 years of suffering with pain. I don't know, it's an autoimmune disease. I'm not sure which one. So she woke up that morning, no voice, in chronic pain, and now she can't sing. And she speaks of her disappointment about that morning of not being able to sing for that thing. And something just inside of me clicked and I felt God say to me, that's what you've been dealing with. You've been carrying disappointment. I was like, oh, you're right. <laughs> so I just listened to her testimony. And then she, she, had, she had to ask somebody else to sing the song for her that she felt God was going to release for that session. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That's what I've been sitting with for the last couple of weeks is disappointment. So to understand why I've been disappointed is, okay, I was highly disappointed of for my weekend. Like, you know when you have an expectation of what something must look like? I don't know if you are anything like this. But when it changes, I struggle to come around mentally to what the picture should look like. Like now what the reality of what I have to do. So I was a little mad with perhaps Gary. I was a little mad with... The kids, to be honest, like, damn it, they've got this gala and it's really messing with my head. It's four days, people, four days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It's long and it's boring except for those 56 minutes, seconds that your child is swimming. So before it, you're as nervous as anything. And then afterwards when they swim, depending on their results, you're either like, yes, or, oh, gosh. So you're dealing with this emotional thing the whole time, and you're bored. Well, I, do, I get bored, and they talk about numbers, and that just clutches my poor head out. <sighs> so I looked up the meaning of disappointment. So it's sadness or displeasure. I think mine was more displeasure than sadness. Caused by a non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. So that was kind of a small disappointment. The major disappointment I've been carrying with God is our financial situation. I think that was more of a sadness rather than a dis, like a, a displeasure. So I, my expectation is like we've all been hearing we're in this new season. Okay, God. So literally every day I'm like waking up and I'm like the money's going to come in today. And then forever after that, we will never struggle again. Okay, maybe my expectation might be a little bit skewed, but no. <laughs> so every day I'm like, and then money would come in. And it would be just enough to cover just our debt, but then nothing. So then I'd be like, okay, now it's going to come in. 
oh, wait, look, something's broken again. So we've been having these major stupid things. I mean, yesterday I just laughed because the printer didn't work. And I told Gary and we just laughed. It was like, oh, look, it's another thing that's broken. Yay. So it's the feeling of being let down, dissatisfied, to grow lean. Hey, I I wish I'd physically grow lean, not everything else. To be deceived, denied, or kind of a pretense in obedience. I was like, "What, what are you talking about now? It's the sadness experienced when people or circumstances do not fulfill expectation. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe my expectations of what the new season is is a bit wrong. <clears throat> so God and I had to do some work on Friday morning. He had, he had to go and dig in the garden of my heart and we had to deal with this. I had to let go of what my expectation is of what this new season looks like. And um, so I did that. And I felt like, oh, sure, okay. This is a new feeling. Like, I felt lighter, which was good. I mean, I do freedom sessions. I know exactly what's going on. So God said to me, he said, Louise, your idea of a new season of rest, of the promised land, of the land flowing with milk and honey is not the same as mine. I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) And he was like, okay, so what is your idea of this new season? And I was like, well, maybe it might be I'm on my father's yacht and I get waited on and everything just comes to me. You like, you know, like the bank accounts are just full. You know, the land flowing with milk and honey. We just go to the tap and it flows. And he's like... Maybe you should go read that one again. I was like, oh, okay. So I I am still sulking with him because I don't like what he's picturing, what he's showing me. And he actually has been showing me this for weeks. I just didn't want to see it. So a little bit rebellious here. Hmm? (laughs) Yeah, Kiri's like, we got tools for that. I'm like, I know. Okay, so in my head, the fight was that I know that God is my good, good father, right? And what good father doesn't give good gifts? Okay. But I'm thinking like a toddler, let's be honest. I'm thinking, I want and he will give me. And he's going, I am your good dad and I'm going to give you what you need rather than what you want. I was like, I don't really like that. And then he was like, but when you look at your kids and you look at them for their future, how do you parent them? I was like, yeah, I know, but can't I be different now? So this is my, this has been my struggle with him. I just hadn't really wanted to own it. And God said to me, Louise, I think Dale told me this, he's like, you can't give away what you don't own. So I needed to own my disappointment. I needed to own the fact that my expectation of the season is different and I needed, in order to be able to give it over to God. So this is what I did. I had to own it. I had to own the fact that my ideas, my expectations, and that I was actually very disappointed with him. I was disappointed in people. I was disappointed in a whole bunch of stuff. So I owned it and I let it go. So on the, the same day, I see 
um, the Bible Project have released their new video. So this is still Friday morning. And guess what it's on? It's on hope. I was like, wow, God, you're so good. So we, we'll play it later. We have to do a little bit of a trickery to get it to play. And then in another post, I can't remember who it was, the text that they give is Colossians 1.27 on hope. So I was like, oh, wow, God, you're amazing. You've given me three keys for, the, for my preach and blah, blah, blah. So, <laughs> and then I go on a little bit of a rabbit trail. So I start preparing on Friday morning. Gary's taking the kids to um, Ellis Park for the morning. I've got to do the afternoon shift because he's got to go to the camp. This poor guy's driven all over um, Johannesburg and Gauteng for his kids. And uh, so I start preparing, but I go on a little bit of a tangent. Anyway, didn't have long time. Jordan and Jenna get back. They both get into the final. So it's, I have to be honest, it's kind of like... I so want them to get through to the finals, but I don't for me. So for them, I want them to get through because it's really good. But for me and my selfish thing, I, I don't want to because I want to stay at home and prepare. So they, we, I take them through to Ellis Park, and I hate driving there. It's a horrible place. And uh, we get there, we get in there, and now they're just sit, now there's this massive black cloud over the pool and lightning. So they obviously have to wait. So from, I think we got there at half past two, half past three, the gala starts. So from half past three, they're like, you have to wait, there's lightning. Four o'clock, wait. So at half past four, they eventually, we're all like, just stop the gala. At half past four, they finally cancel the finals. Now it has implications and stuff like that. So, but now, Friday afternoon, we're at Ellis Park. We have to jump in the car and drive home. So, we did. Ways took me a whole bunch of ways. And um, we get home half past six, seven. Yeah. So, my prep time's going. Chick, 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 chick. So, I'm like, yay, this is so much fun. Anyway, so that night I do some work, but I'm tired. I'll go to bed early, wake up early. I wake up at five because the stupid cat has caught a bird and wants to bring me a present. And Anyway, so I'm like, I'm going to prep. But I've got to get Jordan and Jenna. We've got to leave at half past six. Take Gary's laptop. Let's go. So we go there, set up early, get a nice seat, start preparing, open Gary's laptop. About every single person I know in that garden comes to talk to me that day. I'm like, what is with people? So every time I start, somebody would come and interrupt, including Jenna, who put her face here in me like every two seconds. Anyway, so the big race that Jordan had yesterday morning was he had to make a certain time to make South African Junior Nationals. So in the morning, he swims the race. I can't tell you the nerves. So, I mean, I'm already struggling to focus. Anyway, he swims. I can't remember the numbers, the stupid things. So he misses it by like a split of a blah, blah, something. So he had to get 56 seconds, 0.25. I only know this now. And he got 56.47. So like, yeah, that. Super close, super irritating, and super disappointing for him. Because every other person in his squad has made that this team. He's the only one who hasn't made the time. 
So it's big. Gary's driven out. He's now watched this race. He drives back. But he gets into the final. So there's two finals. There's an A and B final. And because of some guys who scratched, I don't know why you'd scratch from an A final, which means they're not swimming it, he gets pushed up into the A finals because his time was the next... Anyway, it's confusing. I still don't understand the whole process. But now he's swimming at like 4 o'clock that afternoon. Oh, by the way, in between all that, we go home to no electricity and the laptop's now dead. So my prep is... Nothing is happening. So um, I'm just like, what can I do? I literally laughed. I was like, oh, okay. So we get home. I mean, we, we go back there. Now I'm like, oh, gosh. I don't know what the time is that he needs, but now I have to videotape it for Gary, which is horrible because you miss out on the race. But I understand Gary needs it. And Jenna's race, I thought I videotaped it, but I actually just took photos. <laughs> so now I'm like, I have to get this race. I'm like, I'm, I'm useless when it comes to this stuff. So I'm, okay, on video. Okay, it's video. Okay, so I do Jordan, and he gets out, and there's this little strip thing that shows you who's won and what their time is and the places and all that. So I'm like, what's his time? What's his time? So his time comes up, and then he throws his cap down and goes, what? So a friend of mine was standing next to him. I go, Rory, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. I'm like, is that, is that a happy? Is that a sad? Because this mother has clueless about what the time should be. So I run to all the other swimming moms, and they're like the mega swimming moms. They know, they have their kids' times down, and they've written all their times, and they're crossing off each heat. And like, I have no idea. I often miss races because I have no idea what's going on. I'm always having to ask somebody. So I'm like, Stephanie, what, what happened? Did Jordan make the time? <laughs> she goes, yes, he did. And we're like, yes, he made it. I start crying because I'm like, this boy's worked for two years for this. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So I was like, what was with the hat throwing down? Anyway, so we're excited and blah, blah, blah. And we're driving home. And Jordan says to me, so we're talking about this. Like, this is amazing. And this is, oh my gosh, this is, he's worked so hard. I've got Jenna who didn't do so well. But she's celebrating her brother, which I'm so proud of. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's growing because she hates doing badly. She put on seconds and anyway. And Jordan makes this comment and he says to me, mom, it's so funny. Like, even though I've done this, it's not what I expected to feel. I'm like, yeah, my boy. When we put our disappointment, when we put our thing in our hope in the, the scene, the natural, what we do, it's not always that satisfying, is it? And he goes, yeah. I mean, he's happy and he's celebrating, but it's, huh, it's not everything. So that night I go back to pushing this preach that I thought that God was saying. And it, it felt a little bit like putting, what's it, a round peg in a square hole kind of feel. It just wasn't working. Anyway, I was like, no, it's going to come together, it's going to come together. I wake up this morning <laughs> and um, God says to me, uh, Louise? So I'm like, yeah. So I said, you're going to give me the key for, you know, to put this all together. He goes, mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what is it? He goes, Colossians 127. I was like, oh, that's the hope thing. Because I'd kind of like pushed it aside and got onto something else. He goes, 
Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. <laughs> so this morning, I started typing out. So I had started reading Colossians 1 in the Passion Translation, of course, because I love the language there. Um, Paul starts telling, not Paul Elliot, Paul starts telling his audience that he's praying for them, and he starts listing all the things that he's praying for. He prays that their faith and their love will rise within them as they access all the treasures of the inheritance which is stored up in a heavenly realm. Then he makes the claim that the revelation of the true gospel is as real today as the day they first heard of their glorious hope, now that they have believed in the truth of the gospel. So he starts building on to hope. So he starts saying, he prays that they will receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure, which, by the way, is God's will. I thought pleasure was all to do with me, but apparently not. (laughs) That they would walk in the ways of true righteousness, which pleases God in every good way, every good thing that they do. That they bear fruit, that the fruit that they bear and the fruit is that they yield to his life, to Jesus' life, and that they mature in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And that they would be energized with his explosive power from the realm of his glory, which, by the way, fills them with great hope. Another translation uses the word hope as patient endurance. That's not really my idea of hope, but apparently it is. (laughs) That their hearts will soar with joyful gratitude when they think of how God made them worthy to receive this glorious inheritance freely given to them by living in the light. Then Paul kind of goes on to describe the supremacy of who Jesus is. And he ends with this text in 18 and 19. And he says, Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn, in firstborn heir, in resurrection, he is the most exalted one, holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And now by the blood of the cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent, restored to innocence again. What struck me there was God himself is satisfied to have all God's fullness dwell, reside in Christ. And I was like, yo, that's interesting. If God is satisfied, that means it must be really good. So in verse 21 and 22, Paul tells us that Jesus himself reconnects us back to him. And that we now can dwell, same word, in his presence. That there's nothing between us and him and between us and the Father. And that the Father sees us, sees you and me, as holy, flawless, and restored. Okay, so what's wrong with that picture? Nothing. Why don't we live like that? The problem with that picture is, I don't see myself as that. So God sees me as holy, flawed, and 
flawless and restored. I don't necessarily see myself like that and I don't necessarily live that out. I don't feel like I live dwell where I dwell in the fullness of God in Christ. So God was like, well, that's why you're feeling a little disappointed. So if God is satisfied, fully satisfied, with what Jesus did, why aren't we? And then Paul says an interesting thing. Colossians 1, 27, now we're on to that. See, there is a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed for the, from the world for generations, but it's now being revealed, unfolded, and manifested for every believer to experience. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of, of glory for his people and God wants everyone to know it. The language here is interesting though. It's not like it's a discovery. It's a journey. It's not a once-off download and now everything is done. But we don't pursue that because we're not always necessarily, well, let me say, I'm not always pursuing Jesus. I am pursuing my circumstances to change. So Jordan, the thing about the swimming, which is a very interesting thing. So one of his friends who has made the junior national thingy, I really know all the lingo, <clears throat> is that... He is now, so the junior national thing is not good enough anymore. Because the times are always elusive and they always move. So now his goal is the senior nationals. And Jordan gets the junior nationals and now his goal is, he says, Mom, I want to get the 17 year, 18 year old times now because then I don't have to try again. So it's always elusive when we're looking at things in our circumstances to change. We always are looking for the next thing to change. So it could be like, I remember um, when the kids were little, I was like, if my kids slept through the night, then I will have hope. Okay, maybe there might be some truth about being able to function properly as a normal human being, but maybe it is if I have a child, if I get married, if I get that job, if my marriage partner would just behave... <laughs> If my wife would be a better wife, if my husband would be a better husband. <laughs> Gary jokes with the kids. She's, she's, Jenna's like, Dad, all I want for Christmas. And Gary goes, all we want for Christmas is obedient children. And the thing is, is like, it's elusive. And as soon as you get that thing that you've been pursuing, it disappears. It goes through your hands. So when will it ever be enough? And the point is with this is that it will never be enough because we'll never find our satisfaction in anything else other than Jesus Christ. We will never find our satisfaction in anything else other than Jesus Christ. We are meant to dwell to live, to reside in Him. And that's where we find our satisfaction only. 
And when we have that thing, that hope living in us, Jesus living in us, then God wants the rest of the world to know that. Why are we different? Why is it that we can... And hope and joy are not the same thing. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Okay, so now I've got to do my video. So this is a little thing. So just, this is the Hebraic, um, or just watch. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation, and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible, and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, which means simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal for weeks. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's relief. That's kava the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, At this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find the same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms, where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord, because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sin. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see, in any situation, how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires, and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus, and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated this similar habit of hope. They believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope. 
and they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Patient, enduring, makes a little bit more sense. <clears throat> so, Paul in Colossians says, says he contends in prayer for, for those that their hearts will be wrapped in the comfort of heaven and woven together into love's fabric. Now, he's not talking about their spirits. He's talking about their hearts. Because that's where our lies that we believe about who God is and what he is resides. And it says that this being wrapped in the comfort of heaven, which is Jesus, and woven together in love's fabric, this gives them access to all the riches of God so that we are able to experience revelation of God's great mystery, Jesus Christ. For our spiritual wealth is in Him. It's like a hidden treasure waiting to be discovered. Heaven's wisdom and endless riches of revelation knowledge. So Paul carries on and says to them, as you continue in your journey of faith progressing further into the, your union with Jesus, that he prays that the spiritual roots will go deeper. Now, this is a maturing process, and I don't think any of us like maturing processes because what God does is he takes us as babies. Now, if you look at the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, God did everything for them. He gave them the, the Egyptians the ten plagues. All they literally had to do was listen to him and then gather all their stuff up and then kind of get out of there as fast as they can, get out of Dodge. Then when it came to the Red Sea, God used one man, Moses, who held up his hand all night. They kind of were like not expected to do anything or have any faith really. And then they went through the Red Sea. He even smashed all their current... Um, enemies, the Egyptian army, by drowning them out. So that was dealt with as well. They get into the desert. God provides manna 
food every day. He provides for their daily needs. He provides the cloud, kind of gave them shade during the day. He gave them a heater at night. And they really didn't have to do much for themselves. And then what he started to do was he started to train them because he said to them, I, if I let you go into the promised land like in the short route, uh, you guys are not going to have a clue what to do. A, they have no idea how to live. So that he gave them a whole bunch of, kind of in Deuteronomy, a whole bunch of rules of this is how you live. Because remember, everything was done for, that they weren't allowed to think as slaves. So God was trying to get rid of their slave mentality. And, um, and then through all the miracles, he was showing them how much he loved them and how much he cared for them. But it's like having a baby. You do everything for the baby. You feed the baby. You dress the baby. You make sure the baby knows when it's going to sleep. Not often do they listen to you, but that's the thing. And that's the whole idea. Toddlers come, you dress them, you make sure you choose who their friends are. And as they start growing up, they start, you start giving them more choices and responsibilities. And God does that with us. So now God doesn't want us to stay as babies. He doesn't want us to stay as like these little children. He actually wants us to mature into adults, into sons and daughters rather than these little children. So our faith in him is like little children, but actually I want you to behave because why? I've got a land for you. I've got an inheritance for you. And guess what? You're going to work in there. So what's interesting is when they cross over the River Jordan, everything changes. Um, so now they've crossed over. I've actually got two preachers. I've got another one kind of sitting on that side about the crossing over the Jordan. But they go into the, how's that? God like always gives you an overflow. <laughs> You're like, oh, I have nothing. And then he's like, yeah, I have two preachers. I'm like, really? We could have just done with one. But the thing is that now they're crossing over the, they've crossed over the River Jordan and, God, and none of them are circumcised because their fathers didn't do that. They were circumcised, the guys who came out of Egypt, but this is a generation that haven't been circumcised. So Joshua goes, right, all you guys, Gary told to this last week, come get in a line, I don't want to think about it. But that's what happens. And they remain encamped, think about it. They're now over the River Jordan. Jericho's a couple of miles. I think it's not far. It's like maybe five or six miles away. They get circumcised not just in enemy territory, but they can see Jericho. And then God says, I want you to stay here until you're all healed. Um, so I don't like circumcision stuff because it's painful. I, I think none of us do. So luckily, I think for the guys more than the girls, that God doesn't require that of us physically. But remember, we're talking about the heart. So what God does do is he wants to circumcise our hearts because he's got to cut away stuff that's not of him. And we need to understand the truth that we are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows in us. And it's through our union with Jesus that we experience the circumcision of our hearts. <clears throat> okay, so now they're camping there. The Lord says to Joshua, so they've stayed there, and he says, look, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt now from you. And we're going to call this place Gilgal, which means to roll away. 
and they camped there. Then they had the Passover. Now, who does the Passover represent? What Jesus did for them. It's Jesus. And then on the same day, they ate. Now, this is the first time, I think, for some of these people ever to not have manna as a food. They ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. That's their first meal of not having manna. I think their pellets were having a party then. And then it says, and I've never seen this before. It says, and the manna ceased on the day that they ate from the produce of the land. And the Israelites had no more manna. I kind of thought God would like wean them off of it. Hey, it would be nice. Okay, like for, let's say you get it twice a day. We'll just do it once a day for a week. And then like every second day. And then like once a week. So you can learn how to do this stuff. Nope, God just went cut it off. But they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So they had to learn. They had to learn a whole bunch of new things that they weren't required to do. I mean, what is the produce of the land? Should, you know, they had to learn a whole lot of new skills and stuff. I guess they were hungry. (laughs) Hunger does a lot of things, eh? Um, so now we as a church are living in a very interesting parallel season. So we're in a new season. And we have had miraculous um, provision from God. And then it's felt like suddenly that has stopped. The manna, the bread from heaven has stopped. Suddenly it feels, well, this is for me personally, it feels like, Oh my gosh. You know, when we move on to the building, into the building, and it's not just the land anymore, it's land with buildings, is that it comes with an added responsibility. Who's ever experienced where you buy your first house, car, whatever? And, and I remember when we first bought our first house, and Gary and I were like, we went and signed and everything, and then, and then we went out for dinner that night, and we were like celebrating, and then suddenly I was like, oh! We're it. Like, we're responsible. There's water, electricity, got to keep the house clean. Or when you have your first child and you come home. I remember driving home from Jordan and I was thinking, oh my gosh, I am it. Like, I felt overwhelmed with the responsibility. I think the moms can, like, the dads feel a different kind of weight with the financial responsibility, but it's like, we're it. You're growing up there's a more added weight of responsibility. And that's what the promised land looks like. Now, what's interesting in the story is that right after they have their circumcision and they're healed and they have the Passover, Joshua goes out and I think he obviously went for a walk to have a look at this really large city, walled city. It must have been very impressive in those days. And he encounters what the Bible says a man And then I think Gary mentioned last week, he goes, well, are you for us or against us? Like, who are you, dude? And the guy says, neither. Huh? (laughs) Um, So Joshua says, whose side are you on? The man goes, no one's. He says, but I'm the commander of God's army. So Joshua's reaction is he falls face down on the ground and he worships him. Now, if it was an angel, the angel would have stopped the worship right away. 
I believe this was Jesus. And the God's army commander or the, Lord, the prince of, uh, there's a few kind of translations of what they say. It says, take off your sandals, off your feet. The place you're standing on is holy. When we encounter Jesus, it's a holy encounter. Our first response is to fall on our faces and worship him. Our second is to remove our means, our, our shoes. Take off your shoes. Why? Because you want to be in who you are. You don't want any, anything else with you. And then, then he gets strategy, the full strategy in detail for Jericho. And when we face our new season, we need to encounter Jesus. He needs to appear with, to us and we need strategy, heaven's wisdom. We can't do this without him. Because there's giants, there's walled cities in, within our hearts that God wants to remove and take down. And every strategy for every city was different. And we can only do it through Jesus. Why? Because he is our hope. Why? Because it's the fullness of God who resides in Jesus. And Jesus is in us. We have access to heaven, heaven's wisdom, heaven's revelation, relationship. We have access to the throne because of Jesus. And if we can pursue him and not ask him to change our circumstances, and I say this very carefully because there's a part of me that wants him to change stuff for me to make it easier. So as we go on holiday and we take a physical rest, let's not clutch out from Jesus because you have strategy and he has a strategy for you of how to face 2018. He has strategy for you of how and what and where and who Jesus has strategy for your marriages. He has strategies for your businesses. He has strategies for your families and how to deal with it. But we need to encounter him. We need to see him. It's face to face. And we need to be able to be wrapped up in his love. Paulie, do you want to come up and start playing? So this morning, I want us to cling on to, Kerry, what was that um, text where we hold on to hope? It's hold on. It's clinging on to. And hope isn't a thing. It isn't a concept. It's Jesus. So there's a few things I'd like us to do. So if you have been living in disappointment about whatever. Own it. Own your own stuff. Own it for, so that you can give it away. Own up to the fact that you are disappointed with God. Gary and I have been very real with God. He said it yesterday in the car when he drove back from Ellis Park to wherever, the 
camp was. He just, he let God know about how disappointed he was. Whatever it is, own it. Your disappointment with people, you're disappointed with God. We don't forgive God, but we let go of our disappointment of what we've expected Him to do. Why? Because we want to hear what He has for us, and we can't do that without making space for the truth to come in. So the first thing is, which is repentance, is own it. Let it go. Maybe it's an expectation of what next year should look like, or maybe it's an expectation of what you feel like your life should be like, whatever it is. Say, you know what, God, I let go. The Israelites had to learn to let go of what the expectations of what this promised land is. Let go of the expectations of what 2018 will look like. We have to let go because if we don't let go of what is in our hands, we can't hold on to Jesus in order to cling to Him. And then it's to turn and face Him. That's what repentance does, is it brings us face to face again so that we're able to see Him. So if everyone just close your eyes. And you, I know Holy Spirit's been prompting what you need to let go of. He's highlighting that thing. Admit it. Own it. Yes, I have been bitterly disappointed in. Joshua 21.45 that not one of God's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. So let go of your expectation of what it's supposed to be and say, Jesus, what is the truth? my expectation being very vastly different to what your plan is. him to wrap you in his fullness allow him to to show you how he sees you as holy which means set apart for him flawless and fully restored and reconnected to the father Allow him to see his face, his eyes, to see his satisfaction in you.
comfort of heaven to be wrapped around you. to experience the revelation of God's great mystery, Jesus. While Louise was preaching, um, it was really just a reminder of how concerned God is about your heart. And as a mom, I would love to give my kids everything. But if that means that it makes their heart greedy or it makes their heart unkind, then they don't get that. And God is always so concerned about your heart. And... Um, I think that that is his biggest concern and um, sometimes we're not concerned about our heart and I think we should be concerned about our heart and I think we do need to get rid of what's in our hearts that isn't from him and isn't pleasing to him and I remember saying at the end of last year because and I've been saying it this year and I got quite upset last year I would say people say I can't wait for this year to be over and I'm so done with 2016 and I remember thinking well what's 2017 going to bring like every year we get to the end of the year and we go I'm so over this year I was like that's not a way to live just wishing time away because next year is going to bring something better and true as Bob it does not and I remember saying, and I don't know if Penny will remember, in life group, I'm saying, going into 2017, I've said, God, I don't want to be the same person going into 2017 as the person coming out of 2017. Oh, my word, did God hold me to that. <laughs> this year has been unbelievable for me. And God holds you to your words. But I wouldn't want to be the same person. I was at the beginning of this year because God has gone deep into my heart and he has just exposed the rot the hidden dark places and he's made me face them head on so going into 2018 I'm very wary of what I'm going to say um, but yeah I just feel like as we go into worship is there, if there is anyone that does want prayer and there is some there is some stuff that the Father is highlighting. There is some false hope. Um, there's been disappointment this year because you went into this year believing for this, this, and this, and this, and it hasn't happened. But would you want to be the same person you are going into that you were when you started this year? So yeah, if you want to pray, I also felt in the beginning... Um, physical pain that God would like to just heal physical pain and that might be just something that you've been holding on and hoping for healing and it hasn't come and there's disappointment in that as well but I just would like to pray for anybody that is struggling with physical pain <laughs>